Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. All right, we're looking today at Luke chapter 18, and we're going to be looking in verses 15 through 17 this morning. Luke 18, verses 15 through 17. Now they were bringing even infants to him, to Jesus, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. They rebuked the children, the parents, who's ever bringing the kids. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Verse 17, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And so here in this passage, these are pretty serious words that we see in this passage about receiving the kingdom. There's a certain way in which we receive the kingdom of God that Jesus says this is the way in which you enter in all other ways are not ways in which you enter the kingdom of God. It's a pretty serious passage. But I want to just unpack this for us so we get an understanding of, of what's going on in the Scripture. And so here in this passage, we see people bringing children and infants to Jesus Christ. And they're bringing them to them so that He could touch them or in the New Living Translation, it says that he would bless them. So he'd lay his hands upon the children and he would bless them. And if you can imagine the, what that would have looked like, there would be children everywhere. Jesus is in town. The, the, the person who is the man of God who we've seen healings and powerful things happen around him. And we want our children to come near to him so he could bless them. They may have been sick. They may have been hurt. We have no idea what's going on. They had a very high infant mortality rate in this period of time. And so you could imagine the, the parents wanting to get close to Jesus. There would have been children crying, complaining, fighting. There would have been kids asking to go to the bathroom, kids asking for food. This would have been a bit of a chaotic scene if you can imagine this. If you want to know what this looks like, you should come over to my house sometimes. This is where I live. I live in this scene. This scenario is my life. There would have been bad smells. There would have been all kinds of stuff going on with these kids all over the place. Right? And the disciples see this, and they're, they're unhappy about this. They don't like the fact that there's all these kids everywhere, climbing over each other, parents trying to get their kids close to Jesus. And the disciples turn and rebuke the children and the parents. And we don't know why the disciples rebuked them. It just says that the disciples didn't want these people around, these kids around Jesus. This is Jesus who walks on water. This is Jesus who, with one word, ceases a storm. This is Jesus who raises the dead. This is Jesus who heals lepers and heals, casts demons out of people. This is that Jesus, and what's with all this baby stuff going on here? 
These disciples probably might have been in their late teens, early 20s. These guys are not wanting to hang out with little kids, probably, or babies. Not only that, but you had a certain hierarchy in, hierarchy in society. So you had the men on one side, and then really everyone else, the, the women, the infants, the slaves, and most of the elderly were considered a bit of a nuisance. They weren't part of who held the power in society. They were marginalized. They were put off to the side. They were unimportant. And children at this point were to be seen and not heard and definitely not bothering men who were on a mission from God. See, where was Jesus headed? Where was Jesus headed? In this passage, Luke continues to remind us that Jesus is on mission. He is going somewhere. He's, he's headed in a certain direction, and he's really on the final lap of his ministry. He is about to enter Jerusalem, the very place that we are continually reminded by Jesus Christ himself and Luke that he is going to Jerusalem for the purpose of dying on the cross for the sins of humanity. Jesus Christ is on mission. He is carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. He is on mission to go accomplish redemption for all of us and all of humanity. He is making a way for us to receive forgiveness and mercy from God. He is on an incredibly important mission. And if you can imagine, whenever you've got some real important tasks to do, and the kids want to join in, and you're like, look, I'm doing this, so when I mow the lawn... I've got the lawn to mow. I don't necessarily enjoy mowing the lawn. But sure enough, as I'm mowing the lawn, one of the kids will try to come over and he, they want to like get in between me and the mower and kind of pretend like they're pushing the mower, which is nice. But I've got to go at half speed at that point, which is not nice because I want to get done as soon as possible. And so I'm on the mission to just get the lawn mowed and I'm kind of put off by the fact that the kids are trying to get between me and the mower and slow me down. And so you can imagine here Jesus is on mission with the most important mission the world has ever known. He is on his way to accomplish redemption, knowing that he is going to be brutally attacked and beaten. He's going to pay the price with his life and his blood. And all these kids are gathering around him and piling on him. And maybe the disciples felt that themselves. Like, hey, look, get away. Jesus is on mission. Don't you guys understand what he's on his way to do? We've got some important things. Get these kids out of here. But I love this. I love this about Jesus. He consistently sides with the least and the marginalized. This is the work of Jesus. He finds those who everyone else is trying to shove away trying to get, the, get away, he's too busy, he's too important, he's too powerful. He says, no, 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 that's who I came for. You've missed it. This is who, these are my people. This is who I love. These are the kids that I came for. Man, I am passionate about these children. Don't tell them to get away from me. Bring them closer. What are you guys doing? And he consistently sides with those whom everyone else is pushing away. I love this about Jesus Christ because there are people, ourselves included, who have been pushed away, 
who've been felt like we are unimportant, like there's not much that we can do. And Jesus comes up and says, no, no, that's my people. That is who I came for. That is whom I'm passionate about. That's why I'm here. Because I love them. And I want to be with them. Whether it's the grieving widow, or the leper, or the tax collector, or the helpless father, over and over and over again. We see in, in, in this gospel, Jesus Christ continuing to draw near to those whom everyone else is trying as hard as they can to push away. He says, you will not be pushed away. You're going to come near to me. That's my prerogative. And he's on his way to face certain death and torture. And yet, he is in no hurry. He's got no other agenda, no bigger ministry plans would derail him from being with the people whom everyone else is trying to push away. And he says, let the children come to me. I want to be with them. And maybe he is trying to remind his disciples of Psalm 8. Psalm 8 says this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. There's this revelation of the glory of God in the heavens, in the universe, in the stars, in the planets, in the vastness, in in the power of the universe. God has set his glory over all these things. That we would know that He is the Lord, that He reigns, that He is the Creator, the Provider, the Sustainer. God has revealed His glory in in creation. And then in the psalm it goes on to say this, Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength. That somehow there's this revelation of the glory of God in all of creation, in all of the universe, in the stars, in the planets, in the galaxies. It reveals the glory of God, and God's glory is also revealed from the mouth of babies. The most helpless, weak person we can possibly imagine. That is where He has ordained His glory to be revealed. And I could just see Jesus pulling the disciples and saying, guys, no, no, look, I want you to know something. This is my plan. This is what I have in store. Don't hinder them. I've made a way for them to declare my praise and my glory out of the mouth of infants and babies. Out of babies' mouths, he's ordained strength. Think about that. Baby cannot speak, cannot say any intelligible words, can't sing praise songs, can't read scripture, none of those things. What a baby does is a baby cries all the time. Okay, that's what a baby does. Take my word for it. That's what a baby does. But out of their mouth, out of their mouth, God has ordained strength and His glory is being revealed. Some of you who work in the nursery, with little babies who are crying, somehow, in the midst of the crying and the chaos and the fuss, God is being glorified. And you get a firsthand seat to it. But Jesus says this. He says, do not hinder them. Don't hinder them from coming to me. He's saying, make a clear path to Jesus. Don't hinder them. Make a clear path to Jesus. Why? 
Why would Jesus be concerned about making a clear path to him? He says, because to such belong the kingdom of God. This is who the kingdom of God belongs to. And Jesus here is clearly and unequivocally stating the importance and the value of children. Jesus is talking about the importance and value of kids. So these, these children are valuable and important, and I love them. And I'm passionate about them. I want them near me. I want to bless them. Jesus' posture towards children was one of blessing. That was his posture towards children. And we as God's disciples, as God's people, as those who follow after Jesus Christ, our posture towards children is one of embrace and blessing and welcome. We don't often think about, when we think about following Jesus, being people of God, following after Him, we sometimes think about going to distant places and doing hard work on the missions field or reaching out to, a, to atheists or people who are far from Jesus. And all these things we think about following God, what that looks like. And it may just look like a posture of blessing and welcoming children. And here Jesus is, the manliest man who ever walked the face of the earth. Jesus is a man's man. He is the definition of manliness. I don't care what people say about Arnold Schwarzenegger or about the Dos Equis guy. Those guys weren't the real men. Jesus Christ is the definition of manliness to ever walk the face of this earth. And guess what? He blessed and cared about children. He blessed and cared about children. He was gentle, kind. A real man is gentle and kind towards children, just like Jesus was and just like Jesus is. And our posture as disciples towards children is one of blessing and welcome and embrace. That is our posture as disciples. Do we want to serve and bless like Jesus did? There is a, just a, a simple way, and I think there's a myriad of ways that this can get worked out in our lives. Whether it's in our neighborhood, in our families, with our friends. But one of the ways that we can welcome and bless children is serving in children's ministry. I know I've heard it before. I've served in children's ministry. There are times like I'm not any good at children's ministry. I, I, don't, I don't know what to do around kids. Well, this is a great way for you to grow to become more like Jesus. Because if Jesus was here this morning, there's a real good chance he'd be in the basement right now with kids. And I think if we want to grow to become more like Jesus, a really simple, straightforward way to do that is to get around a bunch of little kids who are crazy, who are hyper, who are punching each other, who are doing whatever, all around you, and proclaim to them the love and the mercy and the greatness of God. That we would make a clear path towards Jesus in the little, with the little kids. I challenge you. Do you want to grow to become more like Jesus Christ? There is a way in which we walk in this by simply volunteering to serve little children whom Jesus loves so dearly. That is just a simple way. He says, do not hinder them, 
from coming to Jesus. So how do we then hinder children from coming to Jesus? He says, look, don't hinder them. The question is, then how do we hinder them? What are some ways in which we would hinder children from coming to Jesus? How do we as parents, aunts and uncles, as grandparents, as friends, as mentors, not hinder children from coming to Jesus? Well, I think if we want to understand this, it's good for us to remember the way in which Jesus lived before his disciples. He didn't pull the disciples aside and lecture them for hours on end in a lecture room and then say, okay, now go out and do this stuff. I've lectured you enough, like some kind of seminary course. What he did is he lived and modeled before the disciples and before people what it meant to surrender themselves to the reign of God. Jesus modeled for for them what the kingdom looked like. He didn't just describe what the kingdom was. He lived the kingdom before them. He embodied the kingdom. He says, you want to know what the kingdom looks like? Look at me. Look at my life. Look at the way I live. Look at the way I speak and interact and and love and, and bless. Then you're going to see the kingdom. So then how do we today hinder children from coming to Jesus? I just got three quick things, and this isn't the thrust of the text, but three quick thoughts for us, and how do we hinder? As parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, friends. First thing is this, there's an inconsistency. There's an inconsistency between our Sunday and our Monday life. There's an inconsistency that we see in our own lives that it doesn't quite line up. The things that we're singing and saying and doing on Sunday And the way in which we live our lives before others and at work and at home on Monday is different. And our kids see that. I was talking to a friend of mine who said one night they woke up late and they went outside and they looked in the window of their living room and they saw their dad who was a Christian who did follow the Lord, who proclaimed Jesus Christ, watching a movie. And in this movie... The dad got to a certain place where there was an inappropriate sex scene in the movie, and the dad rewound it over and over and over again and continued to watch this scene. That made an impact on that young man's life. Still to this day, he remembers it crystal clear. There was an inconsistency between what was being proclaimed on Sunday and then the movies that this person was watching at night. And it had an impact on this person's life. Number two, there's also an apathy. That's how we hinder. We, we live an apathetic life. The things that we're most passionate about, the things that we're most excited about, the things that we talk about the most aren't really the things that God is most passionate about or excited about. So the way in which we talk and engage about baseball practice or about our son's schoolwork, which are, those are good things. Soccer practice, all those things. We're most passionate about those things, but neglect talking about what the things that God is most passionate about. And so, yes, there is a passion, but we're passionate necessarily neglecting the wrong things. There's an apathy. There isn't a passion for the things of God. Maybe, Dad, we're the last ones out the door on a Sunday morning. Dragging our feet, we don't really want to go to church and football games. I might miss the, you know, the, 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 the pre-football game stuff. And it just, there's a general apathy in our lives that our children see and watch. 
and it impacts them because now they're saying, well, this is what's normal. My parents are doing this. Number three is the last one is priority. Where do our commitments lie? I remember when I was in youth ministry talking with a parent in the fall, and they said, well, our child, our dear child, really has little interest in church. And all summer long, they had traveled to various sports camps, sports um, games. They were, just, they were in and out of church very, they were at church very infrequently because their, their priority in the summer was this specific sport. So they gave themselves this sport, and they gave their child this sport, and they wanted to get a scholarship, and it was really important to them to do this. And now it comes the fall, and they say, hey, we're, we're back in church, we're back, we're, we're good to go. However, their child said, I, I, I don't want to go to church. Church is boring. And they were coming to me saying, look, what do we do about this? And it was a longer conversation with this, but I'm going to bottom line it for you. I said, you have spent all summer communicating to your son or daughter that church was an option, that it wasn't that important, that everything else took precedent over church. And now you come fall, you want your child to all of a sudden switch gears and get an idea that really church is important now and forget about what happened this summer. And it doesn't work that way. You have trained your child all summer long that the gathering of God's people, sitting under His Word, proclaiming His praises, was just kind of an add-on to an already busy schedule, not a priority. And now you're reaping the fruit of what you've sown all summer long. And so those are the inconsistency, the apathy, and the priority. Those are ways in which we can hinder our children from coming to Jesus because we make it hard for them. We don't... We don't set before them a clear path to Jesus. Now, in verse 17, Jesus says this. He says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. This is a serious charge for us. Like I said earlier, this is a serious charge because, look, the difference is either entering the kingdom or not. This isn't like, well, you won't do so well in life. Maybe things will be difficult for you. This is about the kingdom of God, about His purposes for our lives, about spending eternity with Him, not only after we die, but spending in relationship with Him today. It says this is important. There's a way in which we receive the kingdom that God says this is the right way. This is the way you should go. And as I read this, I think this is God's mercy to us. This is God's grace to us. He's not leaving us to try to discover this on our own. He is week in and week out describing for us the the correct response to God's word. He's saying, look, I want you to respond in a way that pleases God and that honors God. I don't want you to miss this. As he's talking to the disciples and the parents and the kids, he's telling, look, this is God's grace poured out to you that you would know the way you should go. I want you to know this because I love you, because I care about you, because we can get hard-headed sometimes and miss it. I want you to know the right way. This is the way you should go. Now, in reading this, we may have heard various sermons on this passage before. There's three options for us in interpreting this passage, okay? 
So I'm just kind of sidestepping what's going on right now and just talking about three ways to interpret this passage. And then I'm going to share with us what I think is because of the context what God is saying. So this is the way you shall receive the kingdom. All right, so you can receive the reign of God as one would maybe receive a child. So when Jesus says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, so maybe he's talking about receiving the kingdom like you would receive a child back to you. Haven't seen him for a while at camp. They've been gone. They've been at grandma and grandpa's house for a while. And they come back and it's hugs and kisses and we're excited and we embrace this kid. So maybe Jesus is talking about receiving the kingdom of God like a child, receiving it the way in which we would receive a child when we haven't seen them for a long time. So that could be one way to interpret it. Or he could be talking about receiving the reign of God as a little child receives a gift. So when we think about a a child and a gift, there's wonder and awe and excitement and just a love and affection. There's this, man, receive it like a child, like a child, just... Man, love and, and, and all these good things associated with that. However, the, motions, the notions of these sentiments are really a modern understanding of kids. If you think back 100 years or even 2,000 years, the view of children wasn't necessarily looking at children with awe and wonder and excitement. Children were to be seen and not heard. Surely the parents loved them very much. And you may have grown up in an era, depending how old you are, where you were expected to be seen and not heard. People didn't look at you with this, oh, this, this, this child is so precious, this, this awe and wonder, and we celebrate. Child, children were there, but they were there to either serve or help. It wasn't this awe and wonder. And so this understanding the children to be received something like that is really a modern notion that we've really received in the past hundred years. It wasn't always like that. Or the third way, and this is the way I think because of the context Jesus is talking about it. Receive the reign of God as though one were a little child. How is that? What is a little child like? How does a little child receive something, especially an infant that Luke mentions in verse 15? They are completely helpless and dependent. This was a real wake-up call for me. I was getting ready to preach this message two weeks ago. When Michelle woke me up and said, I think I'm in labor. It's Sunday morning. And I'm like, do we have time to go to church? <laughs> She's like, no, we need to go to the hospital, not to church. I'm like, oh, I just hate missing church. So we went to the hospital and had the baby. Praise the Lord. But I missed church. No, but we had, there is, I am freshly reminded, a little baby can do absolutely nothing except cry. And look cute, very cute. Wonderfully. Much cuter than Archer, but that's just my opinion. So, um, and, and all your other babies too, I'm so sorry. You're not excluded from this. But there's a way in which a child is so helpless. They're so dependent. They need everything. They need help with everything. They can do nothing for themselves. They, they can't eat on their own. They can't change their own clothes. They can't get up and go anywhere. Everything in which they receive is a gift. And guess what? They're not afraid to let anybody know that they are in need, right? If you've ever been on an airplane with a child who begins to cry out, they have got no problem letting everybody know on the airplane, I've got a problem. 
I am hungry, or I'm messy, or I don't want to be here, or I don't like you, or people smell funny around me. It doesn't matter. They are going to let everybody know they've got a problem. And as you're there with the child and all the eyes of the airplane begin to turn and look towards you like you can somehow magically shut the child up or fix them or make this problem go away and you want to get up and hurt people on the airplane and you want to do damage to people, that's never happened to me. But I can imagine that's what it would feel like, right? But the child has no problem letting everyone know that I need something. And when we look back in Luke chapter 15 and in Luke 16 and 17 and 18, we see these various parables and stories that Jesus begins to tell and we see in people's lives. So even the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee, one guy comes and says, look, God, thank you that I'm not like these other people. I'm pretty well off. Thank you very much. The other guy, the tax collector, shows up and says, God, I am helpless. There's nothing that I can do. Please have mercy on me. And guess who walks away justified? It's the guy who cries out like a baby saying, I can't do anything for myself. I am helpless and dependent upon you for your mercy, for your grace. I'm lost. He's justified. He receives it as a gift. They're completely dependent upon Almighty God for their for their justification, for their righteousness. But we also see this in the following verses. As we're going to look at these in the following weeks, there's the story of the, the rich young ruler, the story of Zacchaeus, the story of the blind beggar. All of these people are either models for us of helplessness or de- independence or self-righteous, self-sufficiency. All these stories are, are leading us to this truth. They're all a a picture of what Jesus is saying right here. So it's interesting to read, if you read the the rest of this chapter, you're going to see that the different people will come into play. They either are the helpless infant or they're the self-sufficient person. And it's the helpless infant, the, the blind beggar who cries out for Jesus. They try to shut him up and he says, no, I'm going to cry all the louder because I need Jesus. And he receives mercy. Receives grace. So I believe in this context that this interpretation is the correct one. But all this all this passage in Luke 18 points us forward to what Jesus says in verses 31 and 33. And we're not going to go there today because I want to save that for the weeks to come. But in verses 31 through 33, Jesus begins to describe what awaits him in Jerusalem. He begins to describe, this is what awaits me in Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be tortured, and I'm going to give my life for the redemption of humanity. This is what awaits Jesus Christ. And like an infant, Jesus Christ received the reign of God in his life. He submitted himself to the Father. He released all attachment to possessions and power and influence and finances. He released attachments to every relationship that would hinder him from following after the purpose he was sent to do. And all of this 
points towards Jesus Christ is our perfect example. As you read the rest of Luke chapter 18, it builds up to Jesus Christ's confession of what he was about to do. He is the perfect example. But he's not only the perfect example, he is our substitute. Because we couldn't do this ourselves. Hard as we try to live a life completely and totally dependent upon God, hard as we try to be as helpless as we possibly can before God and to receive the reign of God, we can no longer purposely do this in and of ourselves. It is impossible. And that is why Jesus Christ has become for us not only an example, but our substitute. He stood in our place condemned. He was the sacrifice that paid for our sin and disobedience because we couldn't do this for ourselves. What does this mean for us today? It means that we receive the reign of God in all of our lives as helpless and dependent children. We bring nothing to the table. We don't bring our intellect or our abilities, or our own perceived righteousness or holiness. We don't bring that to the table and say, God, look what I can do. Look what I can add to you. Look, I'm a pretty good guy already. We don't bring any of that for ourselves. Jesus Christ did not redeem us because he thought we would make really good Christians. Jesus Christ redeemed us out of his love and mercy. and Therefore, we hold on to nothing. We release everything to Jesus Christ. Larry read the passage out of Philippians to know Christ Jesus is far superior to anything else in this world. Therefore, we hold on to nothing. It all belongs to God and it all comes from Him. Our righteousness is a gift from God, let alone our very next breath. The Pharisee in the preceding section of scripture showed up and said god look at me i've got it together i know what i'm doing we're pretty good already thank you very much he completely missed it the tax collector however showed up and said god help me i am a mess i have no clue what i'm doing and god said that's my boy that is my boy that is the one who is justified and i understand it is hard to come into church on a Sunday morning after a week of disobedience or hardship or failure, failure to read the Word, failure to worship God like He he deserves to be worshipped. It's hard to do that. It is hard to walk into a place and proclaim God's praises after we've spent a week of ignoring Him. It's hard to worship, lift our eyes to Him. But that is exactly the way the tax collector felt. See, the good news for us is this, that in spite of our disobedience, in spite of our failure, in spite of of our inability to, to please Him on our own, God chose to lavish us with His grace and His mercy. Every week is a good week because regardless of what we have done this week, God still chooses to lavish His love and mercy upon us. That when we come to God in faith, believing that He has died for our sins and rose to new life, we are brought to new life, we are united with Him, 
and we are clothed with His righteousness. Jesus perfectly submitted Himself to God the Father because we never could. And now as we walk into this place, we can worship God with hands lifted high, singing God's praises from the top of our lungs, not because we had a good week or a bad week, but because every week is a good week when we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. That is what Jesus Christ has done for us. And this for us fuels worship, it fuels obedience, it fuels love for Him, knowing that regardless of what I've done this week, God still says, that's my boy. I love you. I've made a way for you. I've chosen you. My mercy has been lavished upon you. So for us, let us receive the reign of Christ like an infant, totally dependent in all of life. This is the fight of faith for us. Believing and trusting in Jesus Christ's finished work of obedience for us every single day. That we bring nothing to the table. That there's no other way to enter the kingdom of God. We are all humbled before the Lord. Rich and poor, young and old, educated and uneducated, white collar, blue collar, no collar. We all come before the Lord the same as an infant. We're all in the same boat. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom, a new Christian, or a mature Christian, we all come before the Lord in the exact same way. This is the wonder of God's grace. Lavished on people, regardless of their status, or their power, or their importance. When I think about why me, I just don't know why the Lord has chosen to lavish His love upon me. I want us today to take a moment as we close to do something a little different. We've read this morning about the way in which Jesus Christ has blessed the children, has welcomed the children, laid His hands upon the children, And for us as God's people, the challenge for us to walk like Christ as His disciple, as His people, would be to be the people of God who would walk in the same way. That just like we, the way we come to God, these precious children that God has put in our lives and around us, God loves so dearly. What we're going to do this morning in closing is that we're going to invite the children up from children's ministry and we as a church, they can come in. We're going to bring them up. We're going to bring them forward. And this is going to get a little chaotic. Just like it was in the Bible. It wasn't neat and orderly and quiet. It was crazy. But what I want for us to do is this. If you are so inclined, you guys can just line up along here. You guys can go on to this side as well. The children are going to stand up here, and I know their attention spans are short, but I want us to get out of our seats if you're so inclined, and I want you to come up here and I want you to pray. You can't pray for all of them, we don't have time for that, but you can walk up to one or two or three of them and pray for them, that God would bless them. 
they're starting school, they've got busy lives. We are going to pray that God would bless and pour out his grace and his mercy and his love upon their lives. And we're going to do that. Not just the leaders of the church, not just me, all of us. And so we're going to do that now. And maybe if uh, Bonnie could maybe just play some music on the piano, um, we're going to do that. If you're inclined to do that, I would just invite you to come up here. Kids, this won't take too terribly long. So if you guys can just kind of hold still and hang out here, and then you guys can be dismissed back to your parents. As parents, I know the temptation is to go to your kid. I want them to be blessed. You can do that every single day of the week. I want you to go to someone else's children and and pray and bless them and care for them. So if you would do that now, please, we're just going to close with this, and then I'll pray, and we'll be done for the week. So if you would just come forward now and just pray for the children, that God would bless them and be with them.